again, you cannot be uh, optimal for everyone. And it goes back to seriously good software, right? You, you cannot, your software cannot be perfect for every context. <laughs> Depending on the context, your software must adapt. And yeah. the same way, uh, the way you teach must adapt to your audience. Welcome back to the Exploring Podcast. My name is Sejan. Thanks to each and every single one of you who come back every time to learn, to execute, and to exploit for a better purpose. As you all know, this time is like no other. And I would be rooting for all of our success in technology, business, and life. And in our episode today, we're going to be so specific about building a high-quality software which is never simple. And it's always a good idea to re-examine the principles of good design and craftsmanship. And it's a never-ending process of design and developing seriously a good software. So to talk about that, we have a senior educator, researcher, who has been teaching advanced programming for the past 15 years, Marco Faila. Thank you so much for joining us, Marco. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm great. Awesome. So let's do a quick introduction. So what do you say? I'm all ears. Go ahead. Before we move ahead, a huge shout out to Sundog Education for sponsoring this episode. Join over half a million learners across the world. You can learn machine learning, AI, and big data just for $25 a month. All you need is some prior programming or scripting experience with a high school level math. With a lot of hands-on activities and exercises, you can practice whatever you have learned. Visit sundog-education.com and sign up for a free trial course to start your journey towards a lucrative and rewarding career in the hardest technology. That's sundog-education.com. Now, on to the ad-free show. Marco Faila is an associate professor at University of Naples. He conducts research both independently and mutually with several teams on a number of topics in theoretical computer science. As a result of those investigations, he authored many papers including scientific journals and international conference proceedings. He has been teaching undergraduate and graduate level courses in programming, operating systems, software engineering and compiler construction for years. Marco works on research topics like formal methods, game theory for formal verification and synthesis, logic, automata, quantitative, probabilistic models, research time, and hybrid models. On top of all of that, he's the author of the renowned book, Seriously Good Software. Please help me to welcome Marco Faila. Thank you so much for joining us, Marco. I am super excited to have you on the show. Wow. wow. Well, thank you. That was uh, such a great introduction. I I I'm not sure I... I'm not sure I can live up to it. <laughs> you did. I mean, it's a genuine thing that I had on the text and I, and I'm honored that you are here. So speaking all about that. So, I mean, as you're into academia for over decades, right? And the book that you wrote is all about the seriously good software, but I heard the term, oh my God, that's the thing that everyone needs to know about. Every single programmer on the planet should be looking at what is a seriously good software, right? We all deal with it. We all talk about it. You know, I wanted to build a really good software, a really amazing software. And every mentor or a product manager or every other person will be looking for that, right? And your book literally speaks about it, right? And what else we need? So when I thought about it, but you've been into academics for over years now. And why do you think that academics is actually lacking in teaching that? Um... So I think uh, academia, universities uh, do a great job or, of going in depth 
in uh, a lot of different topics like algorithms and and foundational stuff mathematics that's that that's great and that's that's useful to especially to form the mindset of a successful programmer on the other hand uh the idea i had uh that that led that led to this book was to give a more horizontal perspective linking different topics together which is something that i think it's uh Uh, rarely done in the academia. So uh, I hope that despite the title that talks about serious stuff, I I hope the book is a fun book uh, with a new idea. And and this new idea is to uh, compare and contrast uh, a a simple, a small class, a small piece of code um, uh, repeated in uh, several uh, different ways uh, when optimizing for different code qualities. So uh, you could have the same functionality, but you can optimize it for speed. You can optimize it for memory footprint, for robustness, and and, and other other criteria. So what I tried to do in this book, and what I think is uh, missing in most uh, uh, computer science, computer engineering curricula that I know of, is this comprehensive, uh, horizontal, uh, cross uh, topic view that connects and contrasts these different objectives and 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 in so doing it tries to uh, stress and 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 to to emphasize the trade-offs between different uh, criteria absolutely i mean you know you, you literally broke that seriously good software into various terms so that it, it's easily understand now so speaking all about readability usability and accuracy sorry efficiency and all about that and there are many other factors right but you know specifically when we speak about to any other person when we speak about writing a good software they talk about efficiency and if you talk about to another person they speak about uh, space efficiency and time efficiency and many times they use for reusability right many other terms but uh, when you when we literally speak about like what is that really a, a seriously a good software really mean to you so to me really good software means striking the right balance between all of these qualities depending on your application so having in mind your application your your business model your target your customers and so having in mind your final objective which is probably to uh, satisfy a bunch of customers then you should strike the right balance between all of these different objectives. And, and, and by the way, the book doesn't try to teach how to find those balances because that, that's a more advanced topic. And, and I think it only comes with a lot of experience. What the book is trying to do is, I think, something more fundamental. Uh, um, uh, yeah, is, is to be aware, is to uh, make developers aware of the alternatives that they have when developing a piece of software. So first, you have to be aware of the alternatives. You have to be aware that there's many different ways to do the same thing. And only then you can think and find the right balance between them. But of course, first of all, you have to be aware that there's all of this uh, degrees of freedom, as, as sometimes yeah. uh, engineers call them. Yeah, 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 totally. And again, uh, here are the few questions that everyone has, just like everyone literally has such questions, but I think you can, you can easily answer them. And I think that's the whole journey of the book. Like uh, when we start optimizing the code, right, we always strive for better, better and more better (laughs) and everything we wanted to try for better things happening in the code and in the usability and everywhere wanted to become a better. But 
what does it really better mean you know well, like when we actually speak about things happening around we look for the better things to be happen even in life and even in the code everywhere out there so we look for the better things but when we try to define the better thing like it becomes a blown right we we become blank and what's that really better mean <laughs> hmm. well uh, again it depends a lot on the context right for example mm. take uh one of those uh, speed coding challenges you you have one hour to make the fastest program to do something okay that th- that's mm. a very specific that's a very specific setting and in that setting for example you don't care about readability at all because you're writing uh a piece of code that will only be run for this contest and then you just throw it away so you don't care about readability, you just care about efficiency. And so it, that's in, in, in a context like that, it's quite easy to define what better means. So better mm-hmm. means faster and simpler because you only have one hour to do that. So, so that's easy. On the other hand, in, in a serious, in an industry, in an industrial professional context where you have a complex system to develop, that's, that's a lot harder to define what, what better means. So, a good rule of thumb is I would I would always start with readable code. So mm. because I think readability is often put uh, uh, on on the back burner, it is not given enough priority. So yeah. my rule of thumb is to start with readable code and and don't don't uh, think too much about performance. So if you have readable code, you can understand it, you can pass it around, your colleagues can uh, more easily understand what it does. And, and, and then if uh, performance problems come up, so if it, only if it turns out that your code is a bottleneck for some important functionality, then you can start refactoring it for speed or, or other criteria. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, that's beautifully said, you know, defining that better thing to everyone is actually so much important before they strive for better, <laughs> right? So first they need to mm-hmm. know what actually the better mean, and then they go for what's what they could get from the better thing that they want to do, right? So, and I think that literally answers from your words. Mm-hmm. So again, but you've been so much into teaching, right? Like into education and then teaching all about high-level programming or low-level programming or, you know, or operating systems, compiler constructions and everything. So when we look into a specific terms of each and every single technology, right? But there is a common thing which has been attached to one another, right? But, you know, taking that intuition and passing over to the students, right? It's one of the most challenging things that every teacher faces, what I feel specifically, because there are like a lot of subjects, a lot of concepts, which are totally, utterly like interrelated with one another, which balances all of them, right? But trying that to, you know, pass it over to the students is actually kind of challenging, right? So yeah. uh, have you ever faced such a kind of a ch- challenging things? And what would be your advice for, to the professors out there or for the teachers out there to actually make it with ease and fun? Mm. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's a great question and a very tough one as well. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think teaching how to teach is one of the most difficult things around. I think, I think no one has really figured it out. And, uh, and that's why... Everyone needs years and years yeah. on the job to yeah. to become a good teacher. I, I definitely needed uh, at least two or three years at first. And 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 again, every time I, I teach a new class, it happens that that, that I'm uh, I've, I'm given a new class to teach. Every time I, I teach a new class, I again need two or three years to tune the class to 
I think to, to, to have a really good class and uh, uh, have a good feedback from the class and, and, mm. and, be, and be satisfied myself with, uh, with how I'm teaching it. So, so I, don't have, I, don't have a, I don't have a very good answer for that aside mm. from uh, that you need time and experience to, to achieve that. Certainly, uh, a simple and uh, kind of obvious uh, advice is to um, try and be open to feedback, to to and to interaction, to immediate interaction with your students from from day one. Okay, be be open to interaction because that's that's your feedback. That's that's the only way you're going to improve your class. Is to look at your students and, and this this interaction, uh, this uh, interaction bit is particularly important these days with the with the COVID pandemic around when all all this uh, smart working and uh, online teaching. It's, it has become um, more difficult, perhaps, to, to gather your feedback from, from your students if you are on an online meeting and most of your students have their webcam off and, and <laughs> a few of them ever talk to you. It, it has become even harder for us teachers to, to get that feedback from, from the students. So that's a very uh, critical and, and uh, fact and, and tricky these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I couldn't agree more than that. I mean, that's so. Cool. I mean, that's very true. And again, uh, another thing which is also a bit challenging when we think about the, in a similar pattern is that um, you know making all of your students engaging, right? Learning with engaging, which which literally has a lot of impact than their normal learning from a textbook or from a video courses or anywhere. But however, the, no matter what the medium is, it's it's always important to, you know, put them into a situation and then let them engage with that and let them think it and they come up with something so that they could understand in a better way, right? So it's like you say something, um, you may remember or forget, but you show something, it's also you may remember or forget, right? But it's when mm-hmm. you involve them into a specific situation, they would never ever forget, right? That's how it actually works when we try teaching something to someone, right? Yeah. So I'm kind of curious to actually, sure. how, how, do you, how do you make your students, uh, you know, put into a situation or how do you engage with them? Maybe it's a situation, maybe it's an example, maybe it's a story or anything. So how do you actually engage? Because I'm super curious because you've been into the, a field for over 15 years, right? So your experience will be definitely mm-hmm. helping a lot of professors or teachers or any educators out there. Right. So um, it's, it certainly depends on the class, on, on the type of uh, type of material you have in the class. So I, I'm quite lucky in that I most of the time I teach quite practical things. So there's my advanced programming class. And then these days I'm teaching a... Uh, uh, operating system uh, programming class. So those are the, those are both uh, uh, practical classes where uh, I teach how to actually program something. So that, that's it's in that case it's easier to uh, engage students because I can give uh, small exercises and they can do it on the spot. And uh, sometimes uh, when I was teaching in person in in an actual physical classroom, I would give exercises that they would uh, uh, complete at home and then show to me and show to the whole class on the next class, on the next day, on, on the next week. So um, some, some from the audience would volunteer to come to the board or to the screen and show their code. And altogether, we would uh, comment on their code and, uh, and improve their code. So that, that worked 
that that worked pretty well when when I'm in person. Uh, these days uh, on, on online, uh, I'm doing something similar. So I'm giving an exercise, a task, and um, waiting for them to show me and to show to the whole class. So they're supposed to share their screen with the class, show uh, show the class their code, and then we'll comment on that. And 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 on top of that, I'm using a um, an online um, uh, an online a service that I I contributed uh, creating. It's called uh, um, uh, CrowdGrader. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a it's a website that uh, everyone can use with very very little fees, very very small fees, um, where uh, every student. Uploads their solutions to a uh, to an assignment, and then they are shown a couple of solutions from their colleagues, from from the other students, uh, anonymously of course, and they're supposed to grade <laughs> them. And then the the system has a kind of smart algorithm. It, do, it doesn't just take the average of the grades you got from your friends, but it's smarter than that. So it values more the grades that were given by students with better assignments by students who themselves had given, had provided better solutions. And uh, until you get to a fixed point where everyone gets a grade and, uh, and that system is another way to have them engage with the content during the class or uh, between classes. And, uh, and students tell me they, they, they enjoy this because they have this new experience of grading other people's yeah. code, yeah. which is kind of new for them. It's, it's their first uh, code review. For, for many of them, it's their first experience <laughs> of a code review. Actively Absolutely. doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even when we try get, going for one-person review, they may get offended, right? They may get feel like uh, maybe that's not a right review, right? But when we put it open and let others also contribute to their reviews so that they become more better, right? So they look into other views. So they look into different perspectives of different people around and they feel which is good for others, which is not for the rest, right? And that's how it goes up. So, and I, and I think that's a beautiful approach and it, it's really great. And I could, you could definitely share me the link I can put into the description so that I can, I think it should definitely help the mm -hmm. people out there, right? And again, putting into, uh, taking into that specific thing, like making uh, reviews and all about that. I personally feel that no matter what else I do in my worker code, it always feels I'm not much optimized, okay? <laughs> so I, I believe that the most of the programmers do believe the same and striving for optimizing and fixing them up, right? It really takes a lot of time for me. And I want to know, like, uh, you know, what is a go-to source? Like, how could they really get to know if the code is, like, fully optimized? I mean, I think there is something, maybe you have any approaches like, so that you could actually know the code is really optimized or not. Um, well, I... I don't. I don't see why you should uh, be so preoccupied. Uh, uh, so your code is not supposed to be fully optimized um, when you release it. I mean, even if you are like working in a big company, it's perfectly fine to release a first draft. I mean, as long as as it's working in kind of a robust way. But it's not supposed to be fully optimized on your first try. Okay, yeah. and it's and I don't think in most contexts, at least, and especially for a junior developer, it's not supposed to be fully optimized on your own. 
like you you, you sit uh, just on your own in your little room in your uh, <laughs> in, at your desk and, and yeah. come up with the fully optimized perfect code right you you, yeah. you do something that works and uh, uh, hopefully it's readable because that's kind of easier to to achieve than fully optimized right you, you can write readable code robust code so you can keep your code with a suitable test uh, set of tests and that's most of the time that's perfectly fine as your first version and then and then you see what happens you have uh, you may have code reviews you may integrate your code into a larger system and then maybe just maybe some uh, performance issues may arise and if those arise then someone will come to you and say well can you take a second look at your code maybe uh, you can uh, improve it and and I w- and, and only then I would I would uh, uh, worry about uh, optimizing my code. Yeah, 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 totally. Again, it, you know, when we spoke about the things like about the students or the learners that they actually get the things from you, right? So in the meantime, like there are students or learners out there who who always look for a really good teacher that they align to right if i'm kind of a guy uh, i'd be looking for specifically like people who who i mean teachers who tells a lot of stories right who tells who expresses a lot of fun things and sharing all of their experiences and i love listening to them and laughing and <laughs> a lot of fun right so i'd be looking for such a kind of a teacher and when it mm-hmm. comes to professors or for people who teach right or the educators like you so what sort of students you look for <laughs> um um well one thing i really appreciate is uh openness and interaction so mm. i really appreciate it when i get students who uh interact with me and uh, of course there's also some people who uh, are too much like that <laughs> there can be too much of that like too much talking in your class but uh, mm. but i try to elicit i try to ask for uh interaction as often as possible i stop and 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 i ask their what they think uh, of something and, and and at that time i really appreciate when someone even if they haven't uh even if even if they don't have the right answer even if they haven't thought hard about it uh, they uh, just share with me uh what their uh, immediate response would be because that helps me that even if it's not the right answer it helps me understand whether i'm uh, teaching in the right way whether i should repeat something in a different way whether i should uh, have more examples of something or not so open interaction is definitely good yeah yeah totally totally i mean uh, yeah that's beautifully said because i think that's that's also makes me think like yeah that's always the good thing not only from the professor perspective but also from the student perspective right keeping ourselves open and also expressing the yeah. things and the thoughts of course so that- of yeah of course students will be open to you only if they are kind of uh, they feel safe that mm. that that what they say is not going to impact on their uh final evaluation <laughs> i try i try to be clear about this that 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 class is completely different moment completely different time and completely different objective than final evaluation so final evaluation my job is to grade you and class my job is to teach you the best as i can so you can come up with any question with any doubt at all and i'm not going to remember that i mean uh, I, I I couldn't in, <laughs> but even <laughs> if I could I would 
do my best to forget everything that happened during class and then evaluation is, is a different phase. Yeah, 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 I get that. I mean, I, I, yeah, sometimes, yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> Definitely. So, and again, here, here, you've been into teaching for quite a long time and you wrote and the book uh, about the seriously good software again. So I found a lot of approaches that you follow to make a clear intuition to the people, right? So you, you figure out in different various approaches and you try explaining the things very clear so that other could take things into it. So it, once we express it, it's all we done, but we never know how the other person would be taking it, right? We never know how the other person would be understanding it, right? But here, here I want to know, like, uh, when we try teaching something to someone, we subconsciously create a pattern, uh, right? And we try to expert our pattern and put it into their brains in an easier way. Right. So this is kind of a process that every time when I when you wanted to explain something to me, you try figuring out a certain pattern, which is connected to one to another, one to another. So example to another example. And then you come up with something else. So uh, I'm I'm super curious to actually know what what kind of approach that you follow for teaching any sort of any sort of subjects to your students. Right. So. So I think. What I think is that different people have different ways of learning. And I think this has been proven in actual scientific literature on, on, on pedagogy, on, on learning and teaching. So uh, since uh, people have different ways of learning, uh, when you have, I usually have uh, maybe 50 people in front of me, maybe more. So of course I cannot do uh, the perfect class, the, the perfect lecture for everyone. So the trick is, I, I, I would say, to uh, to do a little bit of everything. So to do a, di- a little bit of different styles. For example, I once asked this explicitly to my students whether they preferred one or two ways of learning a new uh, uh, programming uh, uh, topic. And these two ways are the following. So in, in one way, it's what I call the axiomatic way. So mm-hmm. say that I'm teaching uh, Java generics or C++ templates. So I could go axiomatically, meaning I could give you the rules, the list of rules that make uh, Java generics work. So uh, param- a parametric type is the following, and these are the rules, and so on and so forth. And then after that, I'll give some examples. And, and, and the second way is do the opposite. So start with motivating examples. So we have a list and list, it can contain different things. It would be nice if we could say that this is a list of strings. So how mm. do we do that? And so on and so forth. And, 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 and so start with an example. And uh, I was quite surprised by the results, actually, because mm. most of my, st- I, 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 was, uh, I was pretty sure that students would tell me they preferred the examples first. But this was not the, the, yeah. the result from, from that class. Most students prefer the axiomatic way. I was surprised and I was very glad I had done this. Uh, I had asked them, right? So most of them prefer the rules first and the examples mm. later. That goes yeah. somewhat contrary to intuition and to, to, to some manuals on, on how to teach things. So, of course, from that point on, I tried to stick to their preferred way, even though there was a minority uh, who preferred the other way. So, again, you cannot be uh, optimal for everyone. And it goes back to seriously good software, right? You, you cannot 
your software cannot be perfect for every context. <laughs> Depending on the context, your software must adapt. And yeah. the same way, uh, the way you teach must adapt to your audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, you, you know, when we when we try taking it forward into from students to becoming a software developers. So between this, right, becoming from a, from academy to industry. So this is how we can term like from academy to becoming an, into getting into industry. So there is a kind of a gap where they strive for writing seriously good software or uh, writing a better code or writing really good code. <laughs> so obviable terms. So but uh, how could students become ready for writing a better code? Better code? Right. So uh, call me old fashioned, but I think books are still a very good source. <laughs> yeah, they are a very good. I think they're very good in uh, uh, cost. They're very cost effective means to improve your style. And of course, I'm not talking specifically about uh, my book, I'm, but there, there's many other books like uh, Clean Code comes to mind is one of my mm. favorite books on my favorite books on on what you're asking on how to go from academic coding to industry coding so books like clean code or the pragmatic programmer or code mm. complete i think these are very good books to go from uh yeah from academia to to industry and uh, the second way is of course experience but that that's not saying much right i mean of course yeah. you 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 come in the industry and, and and then after a couple of years you you get used to you you start to understand what what's required of you and i think books and of course also some of the the better uh, online tutorials can help you shorten that time. You're always going to need time at first, of course. You, you cannot come in, in the industry and be 100% effective like your, your colleagues who've been there for years. Mm. You're going you're gonna to need time in any case. But with, with, with the help of those books and other resources, you can shorten the time to uh proficiency another little bit a uh, little piece of advice something else that uh junior developers or people coming out of academia can do is read industry level code and and there's a lot of it out there that's that's open source that they can read and and get a, a better uh, a better impression of how industry level code is written one example is the the, the source code for the uh, java api it's all mm. open source. It's great code. And uh, if you spend a couple of days from time to time, you take a look at some of the uh, most important libraries, how they're coded, you can learn a thing or two about uh, good code. Yeah, definitely. I think that will definitely help a ton. And again, like, uh, as you mentioned about, you know, that examples and uh, such a kind of approaches would work for the other person. And I think that's the style that you're also following on the book of the seriously good software where you, I really love the way that you explain it with water containers having connected with different things and you try getting adding some water or <laughs> taking some up and then getting the amount and that was the kind of a fun way and i think that will definitely win the run so here like i'm i'm kind of curious to know like when 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 someone out there a student or a developer or any other person so you've been seeing a lot of people out there writing a lot of code so here i wanted to share this to our listeners like what are those common mistakes that people uh, developers or students or any other do when they write to code. So when they're striving for writing a better code. So what are those common mistakes that you usually find? Okay. Well, of course, I'll, I'll talk about uh, junior 
junior um, students or um, yeah students who are still uh, still learning so it's it's pretty normal and and understandable that they would make those mistakes uh, one mm-hmm. of the most common types of mistakes is like making your life harder than it needs to be for example <laughs> uh, for example not knowing that a lot of stuff is already done beautifully in the standard library so mm-hmm. java is the language i'm mostly familiar with so uh, for example, in, in Java collections, there's a lot of different collections optimized for different uh, case uh, use cases. And uh, I find that oftentimes students would uh, re-implement like a linked list. Okay, yeah. un- unless I'm asking you to actually re-implement a linked list because that's, that's the objective. But, uh, <laughs> But other than that, you should use what's already there. And of course, there's a linked list. Of course, there's a hash table in the standard library. Of course, there's balanced trees. You don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel. So it's very common to not be aware of what's there in the standard library and, and, and make yourself make your life more complicated than it needs to be. Wow, yeah, that, that I think when you mentioned about the same way, like re-implementing the linked list and also when it comes to interviews and also freshers getting into the corporate or everywhere, so they always accept, expect to have such a kind of, uh, you know, writing linked list or writing uh, trees or graphs or working on dynamic programming or anything. But when we look into the real time, like real time working on product development and everything, uh, there is very less probability that they really use them because as you mentioned about, there is already code which is pre-written and already pre-exist right but here is a common question with all of the things which happens to be like uh why do i really need to learn all this dynamic programming and uh, you know complex graphs on avl trees and everything uh, because either i don't I, I don't either use it in the real time right so what do you prefer like is that is it okay to work on all of that or is that okay to work on product development directly about building a front end application or a back end system or writing a software like what would be your approach well you mentioned you mentioned stuff like like advanced uh, data structures like avl yeah, or yeah. balanced trees and, and that yeah. stuff but in in academia there's even uh, there's there's material that's way further from practical application that that's taught and so we can discuss about that as well so there's the so in italy uh, computer science students take a, a mandatory physics class for instance i don't know about India, but uh, hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if you had something similar. And of course, they take a number of uh, math classes, various various types of math, calculus, and so on. So let's put all all of that stuff in your in your question as well. And I would say that most of it. So most of it, I agree that I would advise people to to study it. So. I think I think there there's reason to teach most of that stuff maybe not all of that but most of it because it's so when you because at the beginning of your uh, programming uh, path journey you have to get into a very special mindset which is the computer yeah. science and the programming yeah. mindset that's it's hard to grasp for for people uh, who uh, are used to programming but uh, if you well you're young enough to remember how it was probably when you first try to get into that mindset uh, 
it's tough. Yeah. It's a yeah. it's yeah. it's it's a very special mindset, and uh, I I'm afraid that some people get uh, finish their journey uh, the, at the academia, and they still haven't properly gotten into that mindset. Mm. I, I see some students from time to time who really still have trouble after two or three years of academia, uh, have trouble getting into the right mindset of looking at a program and intuitively know how what it's going to do. That, that's one of the first of the basic uh, uh, gaps that you have to, to, to jump at first. You mm. have to look at code mm. and see it not as a static text, but as something that's going to be executed. And, and of course, with a couple of years of experience, it becomes completely natural. You look at code and you somehow see it running in your mind. That becomes, it must become easy for you. Otherwise, you're not going to be a great developer. And uh, I think all that stuff like math, logic, perhaps even physics can contribute to that because they put you in the mindset of, deterministic, uh, mechanical uh, processes mm-hmm. and logical processes that where, where what you write has no ambiguity at all for the computer. In the worst yeah. case, it's wrong, but there's no ambiguity at all. It's either wrong or it runs. And if it runs, it's going to do exactly one thing and one thing only. And you have to get into this mindset before you can see the code running in your mind. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautifully sad. I mean, I, that literally feels me. I, I remember a few people in my life when you mentioned about all of that and I, it, it completely apps about what you, what you actually said and what's in the real term. And that's, and I think, but here, when we talk about that thing specifically about the clean code, writing a better code and building a good software, seriously. <laughs> so when we try about doing that, so how could someone could actually improve one person today so how could like someone become so they cannot they can't write a really good software like overnight right so they should need to be improving periodically continuously consistently moving forward and they can become a better one so it's a never-ending journey right so uh, what would be your advice for people out there who wanted to write clean code and really good code and seriously good software so what would be your advice for partial uh, steps that, so that they could follow and they could apply every day so that they could become the thing that they wanted to. Right. So hopefully you will, first of all, you should start from some good foundations. Like uh, you may be studying in academia, you may be not, you may be studying on your own, but you have to study. You have to start from good material, from books or from good tutorials, from good teaching material. You, you, yeah. you don't start from any random blog and and you, <laughs> and you decide I want to be a programmer and I want to learn from this blog okay you, you yeah. have you need a variety of good resources and uh, of course academia is the is the most uh, the official path but there's also other other paths that are uh, that can be valid Sometimes mm. perhaps the other paths are harder because you need more self-discipline to, yeah. <laughs> to teach yourself stuff if you don't have uh, other peers around you who are learning the same things. That, that, that helps. That, that's something that also you get in academia that you don't get if you study on your own. But 
Aside from that, other uh, you're asking for easy day-to-day uh, -day, uh, ways to improve uh, on your own, I guess. And so um, uh, I talked about reading good code. Okay, yeah. that, that is, that's also good. But something, of course, at some point you have to actively program and 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 possibly share your code with others who are going to give you feedback on that. So I think a, a great way is to contribute to some open source project. Yeah. So get into an open source project. It's not easy to pick one. It shouldn't be too big because otherwise, if you're a junior developer, you get lost in, in a huge code base. <laughs> so you should pick a niche, kind of smallish open source project that's actively being developed so there's some maintainers, people actually working on it and offer your help. And I'm pretty sure any uh, small-sized project would be more than happy to, to have your contribution. And uh, I think that that's, that's a great way. That's a great way. It's a, uh, you can contribute your code. People will look at it. So you'll have free uh, code reviews and, um, and improve your coding style. So studying, writing code, looking at good code and sharing your code with others and open source projects are, I think, the best way for a solo programmer to get uh, <laughs> honest uh, feedback on, on, your, on your code. Absolutely. I mean, in the same way, right, you, when we, this all about comes to a common topic, like it comes to community, right? No matter what we try to do, it's like when we try to learn or when we try to implement or we learn, we try to grow together. It's all comes to having a community and for yeah. taking it forward and learning it together, right? So do you have any perspective about communities and learning with that? Yeah. So yeah, I was I was adding that uh, like academia gives you a natural community then. That's, that's what I was talking about yeah, earlier yeah, yeah. and if you don't have a community yet you have to find it somewhere yeah <laughs> and uh and so an open source project can be a community and yeah. uh, i don't know stack overflow is another community i'm not sure it's as helpful as uh joining a uh, an open source project but mm -hmm. that's another community where you can browse at first and then perhaps start asking questions and at some point uh, start answering questions. If you find a niche argument that you become very expert on, perhaps you become expert on a library that uh, some people use, you can uh, easily become an expert on a, on, a, on a small library and then even start answering questions. That's, that's another way to... Um, to, meet, to, to, make, to join a community of programmers. And yeah. of course, there's uh, in many places, there's clubs, local clubs where you can yeah. meet people. I don't know these days, uh, whether in person <laughs> or online, but there, there's still clubs of programmers. Usually these are um, the most passionate programmers in your area. So that's it's great <laughs> to to meet those people. It's great to uh, check out what uh, programming clubs you have in your area and join the one that seems uh, best for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it comes to an end, like talking all about the questions that I've been having a lot when I've been, I've been, as I've been following you for quite a bit of time and uh, reading the free version of your book. <laughs> so these are the questions that I actually framed up a bit and I wanted to ask you all of them. But here is a, another out of the box question. So like when you actually have a, a set of students in an auditorium or in a classroom, right? So not all the people are actually fascinated about coding. 
right? Not all the people who are actually really wanted to work with code or software development or anything. Like there are only kind of set of few people who are really fascinated about and wanted to build communication, wanted to learn from it and wanted to build something. So they're like kind of two categories, like really wanted to get into software development and learning coding and all. So, and the other and the rest, right? So, but but the people, but the teachers, like as for the professor, they have intention, like what I feel, they wanted to make this set of group people who are not, wanted to get into software development, making them and putting it to another group is one of the challenging things, right? And once mm-hmm. there was a shift happening from one group to another, so that's the happiest moment for a professor, I believe, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, do you have any suggestions for the people or the professors or the teachers or the educators out there to able to make the transaction easily or make it make mm. it happen at least well i'm not sure i have uh i have a big uh solutions to to this problem so first of all let me let me tell you my experience i'm lucky enough that everyone in my class is a cs major because mm. th- that's how that's how the italian academia is structured so uh, i teach all of my students are computer science majors so if you like are not interested in coding at all you shouldn't be there right? so I, I don't have that i don't have that, that particular problem but of course yeah. there's people who are not passionate about it let's put it this way yeah. there's people who are not passionate about it and there's people who are passionate about it. and and the only uh advice the only um thought that comes to my mind from the point of view of the teacher is to try and show your passion so my passion as a teacher try to show my passion to them to to help them find their own interest in the subject wow so i don't i'm not sure it's a it's great advice so first of all you have to start with that passion (laughs) i hope most (laughs) <laughs> most university professors have it i'm not sure about it but if you start with your own passion then make an effort to show it yeah and then yeah. i think that's the best way that i know of uh, pulling people towards your point of view your passion try to show them how uh it's not uh, uh, it's not just technical stuff it is technical so our job our topic is technical but it has a beauty if you know how to look it has a beauty it has a creative potential it's it's it can be a very creative um job in a way and uh, try and help them value those positive uh, um, features beyond the technical the technicalities of programming or computer science yeah 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 and that's absolutely true i mean like uh, that that made me to think like uh, when people say that i don't like the subject uh there was a code like saying that people don't like that specific subject it's not because of the subject's faults it's maybe because of the pro- uh, teacher's fault so sometimes they don't feel like getting into the teachers maybe they hate the subject so i mean that's kind of a thing i i just got into my mind when you speak about sharing and you know showing such a passion that you have to the people with you so that they could adapt into and they could actually learn from you and they could turn it into their passion right so that's beautifully said and uh, that's where onto the edge now so thank you so much uh, marco and it's been a really great conversation and do you want to share something to the listeners out there who are students or professors or educators or someone wanted to write clean code so do you want to share something free free do 
Um, yeah, I think we covered a lot of a lot of ideas. That was a great conversation. I I, I don't have anything else to add. I I really appreciate uh, this this time. Uh, thank you very much for having having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marco. I mean, uh, you gave literally a huge value for students, for professor, for educators. I mean, for for software engineers or for junior people who are trying to shift from industry, I mean, from academia to industry, for a lot of people out there, you gave a huge value for them. And I think that definitely has a little bit of impact. So that's amazing. So I think this should be really having a huge impact on them. So thank you so much, I Marco. Really hope so. Thank you. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much. If you are the one looking forward to adapting machine learning into your career, take a look at our sponsors, Sundog Education, and start free trial with a lot of hands-on activities and exercises. You can practice whatever you have learned. Visit sundog-education.com and you can find all the direct links in the episode notes below. Thank you.